Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey guys, it's Morgan Zeggers. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to talk about my favorite topic. We're going to talk about communism, a little history, a little education, and basically my bread and butter because I run a nonprofit that talks all about this stuff and works to change how people of all ages, not just students, and especially I want to focus on children, how everybody in America is educated on these topics. I am deeply passionate about it. And that being said, let's get on into it. But of course, before we talk about my favorite topic, have you ever picked up a towel set? Then you go to use it and it's not very absorbent. I know that you have because we've all gone through this. Okay, I go through it all the time. Basically a towel leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels, towels that work. I know it's mind blowing, towels that actually dry you. Their six piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths that come in a variety of colors. I like the black ones and the white ones with my green plants in my bathroom and the morning yellow sunlight. Right now, you can receive a six-piece towel set for $39.98 with promo code MORGAN. Go to MyPillow.com right now and use promo code MORGAN. This comes with 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. But you guys, I've just got to be honest, I bought in a lot of towels for apartments, college, all that kind of stuff, my house. And what do you know? I've gone through this towel shebang a million times and... It's nice to at least just be able to buy towels that you know are going to dry you instead of using them and then finding out it's a big disappointment. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. All right, let's move on. Okay, so I guess the first question we should address before we get into the topic is what the heck is culture downstream from? If you listen to this show often, you've heard me say it before. People are always talking about how politics is downstream from culture, but we have to kind of ask, okay, well... How does culture form? (laughs) What is culture downstream from? And to that, I say culture is downstream from how we educate and raise our babies, our young generations. So maybe we should put a little more focus into that instead of looking at all of the cultural problems, all of the societal problems, all of the political problems and saying, gee, how can we put a bandaid on this or how can we fix this after it's already happened? I don't mean to be a pessimist in this because usually I'm a glass half full kind of lady, right? I wake up and I'm like, thank you, God, for my two feet. Thank you, God, for my walking body. Thank you for my beating heart. All this stuff, very positive. But wouldn't it make a lot more sense for us to start from the beginning and avoid problems instead of looking at a generation or two or three of indoctrinated Americans like we have right now because we have Gen Z, millennials, and their parents? Everybody is pretty much completely clueless about important topics in our country relating to history and economics. And we look at people like AOC and we look like Bernie Sanders and we're like, dang, that's a good idea. (laughs) We've never tried it before. Let's try it for the first time ever in America the right way. All that jazz. We think that we're going to look at generations like that and say, we're going to change their minds. 
In reality, I think it's a little too difficult to look at fully grown adults that maybe do things like support masking after looking at the science, support the vaccine after looking at the science, support socialist economic policies after looking at the impact that they've had on over two dozen countries, the devastation that's been caused. You can't look at people like that and be like, gee, a little information would probably change their mind because it's a little too far down the road to just have a quick fix. Now, what if we just properly educated people from a young age on very important topics like critical thought, history, economics, and we kind of nipped the problem in the butter before it even began? That's what I'm pretty much focused on. I don't exactly think we're going to look at AOC-loving socialist adults and change their minds with one or two pieces of content on social media. And that's what kind of gets me into this, because I run a nonprofit. Fightsocialism.org is the website, if you guys want to go, where we make educational content about socialism. Now, I started it in 2019, and we were just playing around making some social media content here and there. I was calling into local radio stations. (laughs) I was grinding. Calling into local radio stations saying, hi, I'm Morgan, and I want to reach my peers on social media by interviewing people from socialist countries and posting the videos on social media. Will you please help me? The schools aren't doing it. We've got to teach young people about the dangers of socialism, all this stuff. I'll get $10, $15, $20 here. I cried when I got my first $200 that came in after I went on Glenn Beck. Basically, I did a Glenn Beck radio interview. People donated $200 within a first few minutes, like total. I started crying. And then thousands came in that day from that interview. So thank you, Mr. Beck. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you for that first chance. But we've obviously grown a lot since then. And people are kind of curious on how I even got passionate about this in the first place, because now we have a bunch of social media pages. We have the Freedom Guide as well, which is the lifestyle stuff where we talk about. (laughs) It's basically Christy who runs it. And I was like, I want you to sew doubt into the minds of people about their government. Okay. We're talking about lifestyle stuff. We're talking about chemicals that are approved by the FDA because of janky relationships between politicians and the elites and all that stuff. We're going to show them that it's really hard to trust the government to have our best interest, not just with COVID stuff, but we're going to open their eyes to all these issues. And hopefully over time, people will see more and more that there's there's this story of what happened here? What happened here? Why is this approved? Why is this going into our systems? Why are we being told that our children should do X, Y, Z, when in reality, we know that these have these these health impacts? So I have Christy doing the Freedom Guide. We've got Allie helping basically with all the nonprofit stuff. And we've got Owen and his team helping out with the Freedom Records. The Freedom Records are the actual long-form interviews with survivors from communism. Now, that all being said, I figure we should go back to square one of how we got here because it's really, really important for young people right now to understand the kind of situation that we're in. Okay. That being said, think of little Morgan going to college, thinking that she's going to go for veterans advocacy in 2015, I went to a school in Washington, D.C. I think I'm going. I basically get to college. I do my yada yada, and I move into a house off campus with some girls. I didn't know some of them. One of them had a poster on her wall, and as I'm meeting her, little history nerd Morgan, whose father is a colonel, I love American history. I love world history. I just love learning all this stuff, but I hadn't really leaned into radical leftism ever. I hadn't really leaned into that kind of stuff before. I was more so interested in the Revolutionary War, in World War II, a little bit of World War I. I'm definitely more interested in that now. I think we should all be looking more into that, actually. Jesse Kelly was posting about it. 
And so I don't know too much, but I know a little bit about that kind of history of the 20th century, right? And I get to meet this girl. She has this poster on her wall and I'm getting a little distracted because I kind of am like looking at the poster like something looks off here, but I'm trying to keep my eye contact with her as we're meeting. And I'm looking at the poster. I'm looking at her. I'm looking at the poster and I'm trying to keep eye contact and not be rude. But eventually I just look over at the poster and I'm like, what is that? Because I started to realize what it was. It was a poster of Mao Zedong, Lenin, Stalin, Karl Marx, and Fidel Castro. And these mass murderers and dictators had party hats on their head, like the little triangle party hats, the cones, and they were holding these fruity cocktail umbrella drinks. And the poster said, welcome to the party. Again, these were communist mass murderers and dictators responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people. So it was a little much, right? And my my lovely new housemate looked at me and she said, oh, I'm a communist. And she had the biggest smile on her face. There was no shame, right? She was very proud to say this. And she said basically that all her ideas, all these communist ideas of the men on the posters, if implemented correctly in the United States, would bring progress. They would uplift the working class. They would do all the lovely things. They would bring justice and peace and all the usual talking points, right? And again, mass murderers and dictators on the posters, but they're going to bring progress. Friendly reminder, if you hear progress from a leftist, just run the opposite way because it's going to regress society into famine and massive amounts of death. But I digress. Here we go. So basically that experience for me wasn't exactly a facts don't care about your feelings moment and I didn't have a campus clash moment and there wasn't some big debate that I won, right? I was a conservative on the inside. I believed in values rooted in freedom, of course, and I loved history and I loved our country. I was more so like patriotic and and proud of this country, proud of our values, but I was the furthest thing from outspoken on them, right? I, I wasn't involved in things. I wasn't in some big group on campus. We didn't have a turning point. We'd, we were too small. I, I know that there was like a college Republicans and stuff, but it was a small deal because American University was 90% identifying liberal. So the population of students that aligned with me was very small to begin with. Needless to say, though, I, I was not exactly into speaking out about politics at the time. And so I kind of kept my mouth shut. But what I was really disappointed in was the fact that I didn't even know what to say, right? I'm, I'm a colonel's daughter. I love history. And here I am face to face with a communist with mass murderers and dictators on her wall. And I don't even know what to say to her. It was pretty embarrassing on my part because like, I guess I just thought that I would know what to say if somebody was saying such crazy things, right? Because in my school, we weren't really ever, ever, ever taught anything to a level of leftist indoctrination. I know that we see some crazy stuff on TikTok. Libs of TikTok exposes a lot of teachers. I never went through any of that, okay? We at least were taught that communism was bad, right? We, I knew the basics. I knew that those guys, yeah, dictators. Did I understand communism? No. Did I understand why those things led to famine? No. Did I understand all of the backstory of it? Absolutely not. I knew that they were bad though. And so I was really disappointed in myself for not being able to communicate those basic simple points that we really, as Americans, we should be able to have a standard conversation with a communist about why that wouldn't be a good idea to implement in our country. But there I was not able to do so. And it was very embarrassing and more so just a moment of disappointment, right? So I got interested in that on my own, just 
it became more of a passion for me. I started looking more into it. And as I went through college and as I went through post-graduation and I got a job in advertising, I still stayed interested in the fact that we were seeing after all my research and my interest was growing, I, I was seeing, and as a country, we were seeing the rise of people on the left, like AOC. AOC got elected to Congress the year that I graduated from college and lived with that communist. <laughs> so I was seeing that. And with my research, I was especially seeing that when you see the rise of leftism in a nation and it brings down the country, you usually see the same kind of steps. You see the same kind of tactics. You see the same kind of characters and language used. And I was highly concerned at the fact that we were seeing the same kind of stuff happening in America because I'm looking at all these countries and all the stories and I was going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And these are things like the implementation of Marxism to divide the country the distortion of language, the changing of words. And that's listed out in The Road to Serfdom, if you guys haven't read that yet, by Hayek. And then most importantly, what would come later down the road was the use of a crisis to gain power as a movement. And I remember when COVID hit, I was like, oh my goodness, we now have the crisis that they needed. So as I'm in my advertising job, I let's just say wasn't very thrilled with it, right? I, I'm passionate about history. I'm passionate about these things and I'm seeing bad stuff happen in the country. But then there I am working more hours than I've ever worked before at a very tedious job where I'm staring at my, my laptop screen for eight hours straight a day, drinking two cups of coffee because they provided us free coffee. I wonder why, because they wanted us to just stare at that screen and not lose our attention or lose our minds day after day after day. And I was doing it to micro-target ads and products to people to get them to buy things. And so it was very similar to what I ended up doing, but it was very unfulfilling because as I get older, not necessarily when this was happening, but as I've gotten older, I'm definitely trying to keep all of my quote work, unquote, to be service oriented. And before I even had that mindset, I was very deeply unhappy with the fact that I'm what trying to sell people grass seed and I'm trying to get people to watch reality TV shows because those were my clients at the time. That's what I'm dedicating hours of my day to, to get Americans to see certain content that gets them to want to do certain things. And now I don't even support those products because I only eat organic, LOL. Um, <laughs> But basically it was, it was those kind of companies where you're, you're selling certain things that what kind of impact does it really have? And then not only that, to make matters worse, I was also selling reality TV ads. So it was, um, less than fulfilling if you can imagine. And I, I just knew that I wanted to make the transition. So I would do my job and work over 40 hours a week and I would walk a half an hour home to my apartment because I was living in Boston. And then I would spend hours after that on the couch or at the table trying to build up this nonprofit to be something. And like I said, I was calling into local radio stations, doing whatever I could to try and fundraise money to come in through the little online donation receiver that I had. And all of that was based on this, this information that I was starting to gather. So I'm working at that advertising job, but I'm also looking at the numbers because I'm doing the research. I'm seeing that we're seeing some problems in the country, the rise of socialism, but I'm looking at some numbers that just really caught my attention. And I remember in about 2018, I believe, or no, 2019, a Gallup poll came out that a majority of Americans wanted socialism, especially young Americans, even more so than, than their older counterparts. They wanted socialism in the country. That's concerning, right? A majority 
Oh, officially over 50%. Oh my gosh, that's bad. But then another poll came out by YouGov, I believe in 2019, and then it was reaffirmed in 2020, where about 70% of young Americans would vote for a socialist. And that obviously made a lot of headlines. But what really caught my attention in that poll was the fact that there was this 70% number, 70% of young Americans want socialism, would vote for a socialist, actively choose a socialist leader. Interesting, right? But then in that same poll, those same young people were asked another question. They were asked, do you trust the government to act in your best interest? Do you trust the government? That question, even though 70% of young people said, yes, they want socialism, only 5 to 6% of that same group of people said they trust the government. Do you see how something just doesn't add up there? Because socialism is when the government seizes the means of production and takes over the industries in an economy, the major industries, major businesses, all businesses. It's a variety of of certain levels of what they can do. They could take over just one industry. It's when the government takes something over from the people and says, we're going to run this now. We're going to become the only creators, providers of this good or service. Okay, so that's that's something, right? That is not what we see in Nordic Europe. Nordic Europe has a market economy where they have private businesses, private industries, but they pay a heck of an amount of taxes. They pay large, large taxes, and their country has large, large, large welfare programs. Now, that's a problem all on its own because they're going to run out of money one day. But that's completely different from economic socialist policies that give the government control over major industries. Do you see how there's a big difference between a social democracy of Nordic Europe with high taxes and big government programs compared to economic socialist policies where the government becomes the only creator, producer, provider of a good or service? I mean, yikes. So... When I saw that 70% would vote for a socialist, but only 5 to 6% trust the government in America, it kind of made me be like, okay, so something's not adding up here. Because I would like to think that 70% of those young people, they're probably falling for that classic talking point that, oh, it's not going to be like Venezuelan socialism. We'll end up like Nordic Europe. And, oh, it's not that archaic version. Because I would really be willing to to bet a pretty penny that 70% of young people in America do not know what it means to seize the means of production. They do not know what it means to actually implement economic socialism. And I'm willing to bet that they have never even heard the term seize the means of production before or nationalize an industry before. They probably don't even know what the heck we are talking about. But they said, oh yeah, what AOC is saying, that sounds good. So I see this as an issue of information, education, awareness, communication, all of these really basic things in society. And when we get to the bottom of it, and we go back to that issue of, you know, politics is downstream from culture, culture is downstream from how we raise and educate children, we need to be raising children to have a healthy distrust of the government. Because what does human nature prove? That humans are flawed, and that we will never not be sinners. We are flawed individuals. And we need to have as many checks and balances and separation of power, decentralization of power 
as possible in a society to protect us from tyranny, oppression, and all bad things that government can and has done to people repeatedly. Okay? This is not us saying, well, gee, something really bad could happen. Who knows what could happen, but it could be bad. No, no, no. Human history has been very clear about what happens every single time government gets too much power. And in the issue of radical leftism in a country specifically, oh boy, we got over two dozen examples of what exactly happens. So it's not funny to play around with this kind of stuff. And it's important for us to not be so naive that we think, oh, we're fine. It's 21st century America. It can never happen here. Because as we've learned from people that escaped Venezuela, they said the same thing. In one of the interviews for my nonprofit, we interviewed someone that escaped Venezuela just in time, Gabby Franco. And she tells a story about how she knew people in Venezuela who had come from Cuba. They escaped Castro when Castro, the communist, came up into power and seized control of Cuba in the communist revolution. And a bunch of people fled from Cuba, fled the communists to Venezuela. Imagine that. And then you have to flee Venezuela to America. Where are we going to go, though, if it comes here? I don't know. So basically, the Cubans flee communism in their country, get to Venezuela, live there for some time, and the next thing you know, you have this guy, Hugo Chavez, rising to power in Venezuela, saying the exact same things and speaking the exact same way as Fidel Castro was in communist Cuba when the country fell to the communists. And the, the Cubans in Venezuela are saying, you guys got to pay attention. You guys have to listen. Listen to us. This is really bad. People should start to leave. They're taking the guns. They're doing X, Y, Z. They're attacking the rich. They're going after the property owners. You guys need to pay attention. And Gabby Franco shares the stories of every time Cubans talked like this, Venezuelans would look at them and say, it could never happen here. Venezuela is a rich country because they are oil rich. But guess what the socialists did? The socialists implemented economic socialist policies and seized the means of production of the oil industry in the country. They were one of the richest countries in that continent. And now look at them. People lost an average of like 20 pounds in one year because of the starvation that's taking place, because of the economic downfall that the country is now facing, because the leaders implemented economic socialist policies. But I go back. Gabby Franco says, it could never happen here. That's what the Venezuelans told the Cubans, that we're trying to warn them about the rise of socialism. It can never happen here. We're a rich country. It can never happen here. We're, we're not an island like Cuba. It can never happen here. X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. We have all these rights. Our country's going so well. But one after another, things started to slip in the nation. And Gabby Franco looks at my camera that I'm interviewing her on, and she says, so now I'm here in America. And I'm trying to say exactly what the Cubans told the Venezuelans. But now I'm a Venezuelan telling this to Americans. And everybody in America is saying what? It could never happen here. We're such a strong country. We're America. We're the United States, the land of the free, the home of the brave. It could never happen here. And they just dismiss it. And so when we act like we're in our own little bubble, it kind of puts us more at risk because we're being more and more dangerously complacent. But getting back to that, that 70% statistic versus the 5 to 6% statistic that trusts the government, I see this as a positive thing because it means that 70% of young people, they don't want to seize the means of production. They aren't active communists. They aren't little Che Guevara supporters. There's a small percentage that are, and they're kookies. But when we speak to young people, 
we should bring a tone of interest. We're trying to capture their attention. We're trying to show them information because we believe as as their own individual selves, they are capable of absorbing this information that we have to share with them, adult to adult, and we are trying to speak to them on a level of, hey, we are together on this. We don't think you're a little snot that's scrolling on your phone, falling for the crap that AOC is selling you. We aren't going to talk to you like that because we. I see a lot of people that speak to young people in this way as if it's already a lost cause. But I think that there is a way for us to communicate in a more effective manner. On top of that, let's bring in another thing that I found when I first launched the organization on how to speak to young people. There's a study from Michigan State University that says the most effective way to reach a young person with an opposing viewpoint or with an idea that kind of conflicts or that's hard to wrap their mind around, which can you think of a better thing as an example for that than socialism? I mean, it's so complicated. There's so many different myths out there. There's so many different narratives, so many different definitions, when in reality, there's one true evaluation and standard that we should be talking about. But socialism is a great example of this study. And it says the most effective way to reach a young person about these kind of topics is actually hearing it from a peer, from a peer-to-peer conversation, peer-to-peer communication. It's called peer rationale. Then hearing it from a parent or a professor or some higher than force, some authority kind of voice. It's better to hear it from a friendly perspective, from a peer. So that gets me excited again. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, all right, more conversation would be better. So that's why the nonprofit started with just some casual social media content. We were doing those short interviews. They were like five minutes and growing in that kind of casual conversational way with that kind of content was great. But then over the years, we've been around for over three years now, we have gotten that camera equipment. We've gotten the people onto the team that can help us do long form interviews. And now you guys, we have a whole operation and Owen's really the brain behind this one, but he's made it so that we have probably, I would say 20 or so hours of interviews of detailed stories of what people experienced in, I'd say, over 10 countries right now that we've interviewed. A ton of different global experiences of the rise of communism in that person's home country and what they experienced as the communists came to power, what they experienced as they tried to live in the country and then escape the country and then get here and what they see now in America. We have hours and hours of these interviews of detailed description of what these people experienced. And Owen has created this process where if something happens in America, like say we have somebody who comes and talks about how we have to end handgun ownership. Like I I remember Trudeau said something of like in Canada, no more handguns or something like that. We have the team now, we have a transcript of all the words of these interviews all put onto one document. And now we can just keyword search things and it pops up. And so in a matter of seconds, we can look and see the timestamps and where in each interview that we've done with a survivor of communism, they have talked about gun control in their home country as the communists came to power. We can talk about what they experienced in the healthcare system in their country. And then if something happens in the American news, we keyword search that in our big transcript document, which is a lot of pages, as I'm sure you can imagine. And we put those together in little clips. And then hopefully those clips kind of work their way around social media. And sometimes they take off. Other times though, we're experiencing this 
an era of big tech censorship, as you can imagine. So anything from communist China has basically gotten flagged. Anything that talks about the the slave camps there, anything that's a little too touchy, it gets removed or it gets flagged or it gets just censored. So we're experiencing that and we're trying to find those ways to directly reach people with this kind of information. But just connecting the dots in these little ways in the social media clips has been so interesting because I forget that a lot of people don't know that this is repeated throughout history. We have editors on the team that have never worked with groups like ours before, like history groups. They maybe don't, they don't know much about socialism or whatever, but they're great at video work, right? And they say, Morgan, I had no idea. I learned so much. <laughs> I learned so much putting your videos together for the nonprofit. And, and it has really been enjoyable to do so. Now, taking it into that, the next step, and I'll close out with this, is you know, as I've leaned more into my faith and I, I look at what we're trying to achieve here and I look at the state of the country and, and all the frustrations that we're facing, I personally, and I know the girls on the team feel the same way, we want everything we do to be service-oriented. And we are a nonprofit where we got the tax-exempt status because we're educational. And so we fundraise and then we put the, the money to good use and we go right into making these little educational videos and the long-form interviews. But we want a more direct way of service. And I see that, especially as I'm trying to become a mama, as I'm trying to imagine doing a homeschool one day. Yeah, I'm a history nerd, but I am not as good at math, right? And, and so when people have their shortcomings, sometimes people struggle to wrap their head around socialism. Sometimes they struggle to figure out where do I even begin with talking to my kids about history or economics or civics or any of this stuff. Like it's all a freaking mess, right? Well, that's where I was like, you know, a really great way for us to move forward now is to do downloadable, accessible, free, just completely attainable and understandable resources for parents that are trying to talk to their kids at a younger age, because this all starts in the home, right? Going back to what is culture downstream from? It's downstream from how we educate and raise our babies. And so I always go and download people's free eBooks and stuff. And that's how I got this idea. I'm always doing stuff. Like I'm always like, here, let me put my email in. And there's this one, I think farmhouse on Boone. She has like 10 sourdough recipes that you can make. So I gave her my email and in exchange, I got the ebook and I want the rest of her ebooks that she provides. And so it's like, yeah, I want her to have my contact info. So as we're getting censored and as we're seeing the rise of people wanting to educate their kids instead of the school, it was kind of a perfect way for us to be like, you know what, we'll beat the censorship, screw the social media stuff. And we'll just get people's direct contact info and send them directly the curriculum and the downloadable things that they can use to educate their kids, whether it's right now when they have kids today or if they're just going to save those resources. I just downloaded a really cool holistic health bundle and it was on sale, but it's, yesterday was the last day. Sorry, guys. But it's like a hundred or so ebooks on different health things. And I just downloaded it and now I have all this free information accessible for years and I'm going to print it out and put it in a binder. So that's kind of where I see this going now is just complete service to the men and women out there that are trying to do the work that it takes in their own households to raise their children upright in a way where their children understand the harsh reality of human nature, the harsh reality of a government with too much power, of a society that takes things for granted, especially freedom. But if you guys go to fightsocialism.org, you can check out Right now we have one out. It, it is a Thanksgiving themed one, but it was basically like what to say to people uh, with their classic socialist phrases and talking points at Thanksgiving dinner. And we're probably going to put a, a new one out that's not Thanksgiving themed that 
will kind of reach people a little bit longer than just Thanksgiving season. But we just put one out that's called 10 Banned Chemicals That Are Legal in the United States. Those are 10 chemicals, including carcinogens, that the United States government says is safe for us to use and consume and put on our skin, put in our bellies, all those things. Safe for us to consume, but other countries say they're so dangerous, they are illegal. Okay? So... Like I said, I have Christy do those ones. She does an amazing job, but it's it's all to build that narrative of like, listen, it wasn't just COVID. We've got major trust things that we've got to look at with the government all across the spectrum. All right, but you guys can go to fightsocialism.org and download those right now. And we're going to put more out this year because I want to directly serve you. We want to directly serve you by making your life easier when it comes to spreading this kind of information, absorbing it yourself and then communicating it out. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye.